Hello and welcome to this week's FE podcast. My name is Kate Parker and I'm joined by Julie Valkatai. Hello. Hello. And so it's been another busy week in FE. Um, lots of lots of drama happening, I have to say, in Parliament this week. Would you agree? Definitely would agree. I mean, it's like we've not had anything else, but very busy fortnights recently. But um, there's certainly been an awful lot of really interesting, really interesting stuff going on. Uh, that we can discuss today. We can. And the first thing we're going to talk about is um, the clawback of the adult education budget. And this seems to be a story that just is never ending. Each week there's more stuff about it. And we've got a little clip to play you from Parliament. Um, it was during Education Questions and Toby Perkins, the Shadow Apprenticeships and Lifelong Skills Minister, um, I'm not sure if that's his right title. It's a very, a very long and complicated title. He's the shadow FE minister. <laughs> um, you know, he stood up and, you know, said, said to Gillian Keegan, the apprenticeships and skills minister, um, what is going on with the adult education funding, basically, and a, a lot of colleges are going to suffer as a result of this. So here is that clip. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Minister refers to a simpler adult education funding approach, but the decision to increase the adult education clawback threshold from 68% last year to 90% this year, and to impose it at the last minute, will place many colleges in a brutal financial situation, with Leicester College, for example, forecasting there could be as much as £4 million worse off than expected. Now, this government can either commit itself to a skills-based revolution as it claims it wants to, or it can endanger the sector by repeatedly cutting its funding, but it can't do both. Why is there such a dangerous discrepancy between what this government says it wants on further education and what it does? Minister. Uh, thank the Honourable Gentleman for his question. Uh, the Government has actually increased the funding across this sector quite significantly in many different ways. In terms of the issue that he refers to, it is wrong to categorise it as he has such. We have effectively changed from 97%, which is actually the claw... the the clawback this year down to 90%, therefore giving colleges uh, some allocation, some leeway. The Honourable Gentleman refers to a previous uh, year, which is true, that we did uh, reduce to 68% because that was at the very beginning of the pandemic. And what we've asked providers to do is to still keep that provision available to move online, to give learners the experience. So there we go. So Gillian Keegan actually saying that um, the, the government's plan to give colleges leeway, if anything. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting line to take, I'd say. I mean, you know, we cover sort of funding pressures all the time in, in further education, but certainly my impression is that this is an issue that I have very rarely seen individual principals angrier about something than they are about this. And I'm not sure that the minister has sort of got a sense of the strength of feeling on this for her to say that this is actually giving them leeway. No one is going to buy that. You know, her argument is that in the past, the threshold was 97%. And so to give them now a 90% threshold is actually more generous than what they've had in the past. But what she is sort of maybe not quite forgetting about, but certainly you know, what, what the, she's moving the focus away from is that much more recently it was 68% to allow for the impact that the breakout of the pandemic has had on college provision. So what colleges are saying is they're actually going from 68% to 90% and doing so at quite short notice. 
And the real problem, whichever way you turn it and whatever the rationale for it is, that for some colleges, that's millions. That's millions of funding that they could be losing out on. And Toby Perkins talking there about individual colleges losing, you know, up to four million. That's a huge proportion of their money when adult education hasn't particularly been overflowing with money in the first place. Um, you know, it's only a week or so ago that Supemba was really raising concerns around where adult education funding is. And, you know, she was saying it's it's one step forward, two steps back all the time for adult education funding. So this clearly is an indication. And I personally, I think that Jillian Keegan really hasn't seen the sort of strength of feeling in the sector about this. I think I I mean I watched a um a committee, I think I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, um, a Westminster Hall debate it was, and literally every MP that joined in that debate, um, it was it was on adult education funding generally, but um every commit every MP called for it to be reversed. So it's not it's not just the college principals, it's actually really strong feeling from a lot of MPs on this as well. Um and like you said, you know, it, it's it's millions. Just so the AOC gave a few examples. So Leicester College um, will have to pay back about four million in funding. Um, Furness College, they're looking at six hundred and forty thousand. And I think I wonder if the government really realises, you know, that the AOC saying that this means that colleges won't be able to offer T levels. How ridiculous is that? When actually all the government talks about is how wonderful T levels are, and you know they're the future for for technical education and and actually their rhetoric about adult education as well we've heard nothing but adult education we're going to need to upskill and reskill out of covid you've got the lifetime skills guarantee things like that there's all this rhetoric but then actually you're looking at the colleges on the ground like you said they're losing millions and how can they possibly deliver on this massive you know vision for the further education sector and we're not just saying deliver the same that you've delivered with less money we're saying can you also please deliver all of these other things uh but we'll give you a bit less money so it's um it's difficult Gillian keegan did say there that you know the government has increased funding for the fe sector in a number of ways you know again i think that's probably a bit more vague than colleges would like to see you know tell us where tell us how and also it's probably not enough yeah, and do you know what? It, it, they have increased the funding, but they've increased it at a time when actually colleges were already really, really badly off. And then also a time when they've lost a load of money because of COVID. They have, you know, even things like apprenticeship provision and things like that. We've seen that make massive dents in colleges' finances. So actually, they, they already needed like that extra funding to get them back to normal. But then COVID happened and now they need all this extra funding, you know, to help them just deliver, you know, yeah, deliver this grand plan. Well, I think this is a story that we'll be talking about yes. again. Uh, yes, over the we definitely, weeks, so. definitely will be. We'll be definitely keeping an eye on that one. Um, another another thing that we we think is worth raising is um, a investigation that we've had go live yesterday. Um, I had a look through all of the Ofsted data and found the colleges that haven't had an inspection for over ten years. Obviously, the the original exemption was that if you were rated outstanding you didn't need to have an offset inspection for 10 years that is being lifted and is currently going through parliament um and i know offset have said they're hoping to visit all those providers by i think it's 2026 um but there's 22 colleges on the list that's uh colleges six form colleges um 16 to 19 academies and specialist colleges 
Um, and it's really interesting, you know, I, I spoke to all, all 22 colleges this week and they're all you know, really, really wanting Ofsted to go and inspect them and really wanting to prove that they're outstanding again. And obviously they do a huge amount of um, internal inspections and internal regulation and things like that. They, a lot, one, one college said to me that they had a group of outstanding colleges in the area and they all kind of inspected each other and, they were, you know, um, and so they were confident that they were still outstanding. But it is it is that you know that delay in the delay because of covid again means that the the inspectors have been out there I mean one one college hasn't had an, an offset visit since 2006 which is just just seems bonkers. That's a long time that is a long time and you know you it, arguably you could say you know these are outstanding colleges how likely is it that they have you know dropped in quality massively it's for them it means they can have their offset outstanding banner outside always helpful with students and parents um so you know why is this a problem but Ofsted themselves say in their most recent accounts that this means that there are you know whole generations of learners who go through this stage of their education without Ofsted ever having come to that institution and you know if you think about you know if I think about where I was in 2006 in that case you know <laughs> I can't say that my standards haven't slipped <laughs> in time you know and I'm sure that the same will be the case for for colleges so um it is it's a complicated issue and it's also one that is very much about capacity at at Ofsted you know it's an awful lot of inspectors it's an awful lot of uh, organizations that they need to inspect it's something like 1800 I think that are within Ofsted's remit that takes some time to get around Especially as well when you consider the kind of influx of new apprenticeship um, providers, you know, that they they really need inspecting. And actually another another story, you know, Amanda Spielman this week saying that they had visited, I think, almost 100 since March and a third had um were making had made insufficient progress in in one of the in one of the categories so you it's you know offset clearly are not it's not like they're sat on their hands doing nothing you know they are out there and are inspecting but it's a, it's a big sector to get around isn't it yeah and they've just had a year where they basically haven't been able to inspect anyone because no one has left their house yes um so you know that certainly hasn't helped and you know offset has had funding pressures and funding pressures particularly on its sort of FE arm so um yeah it's uh, another one to to watch I think over the next few months as inspections start up again and you know and we see the sector sort of properly up and running mm-hmm. and then lastly the last thing that we want to talk about is um Ruth Silver who I'm sure that many people listen to this podcast will have known of and will have met and um this week I profiled I did a profile interview with her, um, Fettel, who she was, um, she was the president for the Further Education Leadership Trust, um, closed its doors on, I think, last week after eight years. So they were the first um, think tank for FE, really dedicated to FE and FE research and FE um, theory. And obviously people that know Ruth know that she's had an amazing career um, I mean, the woman's 76 and she's still going strong as ever. She reassured me over and over again that she was not stepping away or retiring. I retiring. No. no, I mean, when she retired, she, you know, retired at 60, uh, 63, I think she was um, from Lewisham College where she was principal for 17 years. And I think retirement is completely the wrong word to use in that case. She's just, you know it's reading a CV it's like a who's who of skills committees she's just chaired so many and contributed towards so much in the further education sector 
She, yeah, she's been around a long time and she is certainly leaving her mark. I don't want to say she has left her mark because I'm, I'm pretty sure she's not done yet. No. Um, I know she'll have very mixed emotions around petal closing. You know, it's it's kind of been her baby and they've done an awful lot of work that just no one has done before. You know, whether we look at sort of mental health of college leaders, whether we look at the issue of shame, whether we look at... FE commissioner know, staff. Absolutely. There are so many issues that they have looked at that no one else really was looking at. And they've allowed leaders in further education to sort of be brave, you know, and, and kind of step out and write reports, do their own research. Um, and I think that will be missed. It'll be interesting to see if anything steps in its place. Yeah. Did you talk to her about that? Did you talk to her about how she how she felt about moving on from federal? Yeah, so she, you know, she, she was obviously, she was so proud, so proud of what they've achieved. And she, like you said, she said that the way she wanted it was that she would ring up a leader and say, what's on your mind? You know, what are you, what are you concerned about? Here's some money, go and write about it. And she, you know, I think she obviously is sad, but she said that, you know, they're leaving a bit of a diary to an organisation who may continue some of the work and also the British Library have been in touch and they want to archive all of the um all of the reports because they recognize that this is something that has never you know there's never been a you know further education dedicated think tank before so you know I think the legacy of FETA will live on and I think you can see that in the sector I mean even since I started covering you know I've been covering FE for two years really not very long at all but even since I started the amount of practitioner-led research is just it's just amazing now you so many you know you hardly will come across a lecturer who's not involved in research in some way or another and they're really keen you know and I think that that will I think that is the legacy of FETA they've kind of given leaders and teachers the confidence to you know to kind of shape that research themselves and tell their own stories and raise their own issues and try and influence policy that way yeah that's right and you know like we've both said, I, I doubt that Ruth is going to be far away from the sector. No, for the she next won't. Few years. She won't. She definitely will. And um, I've got just a little clip here to play for you. So she was talking to me about her time at Lewisham. Obviously, she was there for 17 years. And I asked her what she thought made a great FE leader. So have a listen to this. I remember at Lewisham, but I'd come back and drag you saying, I'm really good hot money and I've spent a lot of time thinking, and this is what I was thinking about the future. So I'd have a staff meeting of 640 people, um, and, uh, and I'd say, this is what I'm thinking about the next strategic plan, what we're going to do in the next two sub five years. And I'll, can I tell you about it? And then can I leave it with you for till half term? And then you write to me saying, you've got this wrong. And if you think about adding this. So I, for me, it was about a continuous conversation with those closest to the students. And so with the staff, it was this close conversation coming up with a, a narrative about the future penned by all of us inside the staff and then taking that to the board and seeing how it would work and then being authorised. So that notion of creating this, you know, and I've always said this, a strategic plan tells the story of what you're going to become. And so that, so I would do that, and, that, and, and, and of course the staff loved telling me, "Oh, you doubt that can't happen, or how about this? We could do this as well." But it was lovely, and it was really smashing. And of course, and, and, and so I do that. And I remember apparently one day I said, "You know, we're going to spend some money in a new building, and, and you know it's going to be a fabulous place." And all I want from you is that you, you know, you're teaching here. You students come into classrooms. Can they be the same as you want for your own kids? You be there early, you know, can it, can it be interesting with things on the wall and whatnot? And actually, the community, like, I mean, that would have got me laughed at if I'd gone to Chelsea. 
uh, in a community like Lewisham, they knew what they wanted for their kids. So how do you how do you make the joint, you know, the coronary, connect, coronary connections with the primary task of FE? You know, tell the story of what you're going to become. Because F, and we used to do this with a great guidance team, and uh, and I'd say that the first question you ask a student when you meet them is, where you go, you know, what you going to do at the end of this? You start by signalling a horizon for them. So when you leave, what do you want to be? Not welcome to the college, and you're going to have, you know, it's all about hi, hi, welcome. What are you going to do when you leave? And you then mobilise the, you mobilise the young people, you know, options of thought about. Um, you know, what kind of person do I want to be? How can I be that person? And I guess in, you know, in the places, like in somewhere like Lewisham, you know, like you said, you compared to someone like Chelsea, those conversations are so important because the levels of poverty at that time were, were so high in an employment yeah. thing. So even just giving the students the chance of saying, you know, you are going to have, you are going to go somewhere on from this. What's it going to be? Kind of. Yeah, and, and a couple of other things. When I suddenly realised I had found a system of being in role with authority on the primary task. And it's like everything I had learned for the first 40 years of my life just came, more than 40 years, yeah, no, actually the first 45 years of my life um, all came together to make meaning. Actually having uh, having a baby, having a baby late, I was 39 when Matty, my daughter Martha came, um, it became my profession became personal. Yeah, you know the importance of family, community, all those things knitted beautifully together. And and I would go. I mean, you know, a good Scottish cadger. I would go and tell. I remember Tony Blair came before he was elected because I had um, got word to him through connections saying you've never been in a college that's got black young people in it. Come and talk to them. You're all getting around at all the other places. And God, he came. There we go. See, at the end of it, she even managed to get Tony Blair to come and see the college before he was elected. She invited him and he came. And actually, she told me she's the queen had come to the college before. And she's very, um, you know, it's clear that when she was a um, when she was principal, she'd had everybody over to see what was going on at the college. So I think maybe our next job should be teaching colleges how to get the PM to visit their college. Yeah. Or the yeah. queen for that matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, great stuff from Ruth. And, you know, we are sad to see Fettel close. And I think... She's clearly talking about a party in June, so I don't think, just like Ruth, they won't be going out quietly. They will have a bit of a bash to celebrate all the hard work that they've done. I look forward to it. Yes. So, yeah, our invitations are in the post, apparently, Julia, so we will be there. (laughs) Well, that's it for us for this week. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about who knows what could happen in the next two weeks. Feels like anything's possible, so who knows what we'll be talking about in two weeks' time. 